Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we are discussing Vincent Van Gogh from the Doctor Who episode, Vincent and the Doctor. Tony Curran plays Vincent Van Gogh. Matt Smith plays Doctor, the Doctor, the Doctor. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> uh, and Karen Gillan plays Amy Pond. And Bill Nye plays a museum curator. And we are joined today by special guest Cassandra Fredrickson. Right? Hi. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sudden doubt there at the end, Todd. <laughs> I know. I... Well, you didn't write it in the in the notes. And if something is not written in the notes, then I don't generally trust myself to remember <laughs> things like that. Uh, but yes, our special guest is Cassandra. So welcome back, Cassandra, a returning yeah. guest. Thanks for having me again. Yes, we previously had you on to talk about... Uh, the Fellowship of the Rings, because you are an expert on this based on you, the fact that you have discussed the Fellowship of the Rings minute by minute over on the Lord of the Rings Minute podcast. Yes. And today we're having you on to discuss a Doctor Who episode. And could you explain for our listeners your expertise in Doctor Who? Um. Well, I feel more like an expert in Doctor Who, like air quote expert. But um, <laughs> I co-host uh, the Doctor's Companion podcast with Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez. And right now we're going through some classic Who stuff, one Doctor at a time. So we're jumping around from like first Doctor, second Doctor, third Doctor. Um, and we are, as of this recording, we are, we just talked about a seventh Doctor story. So there's a lot on the the feed for you guys to check out if you like Doctor Who. <laughs> and both of those shows are part of the dueling genre family as well. Yes. So yeah, we're very happy to have you on. And once again, just right in your lane of expertise when it comes to podcasting, right, Cassandra? <laughs> Someday I'll talk about something I know nothing about, uh, but today is not that day. Uh <laughs> well, as we said, we are talking about Vincent and the Doctor, which is the 10th episode from the fifth season of the kind of rebooted Doctor Who. It's not really like mm -hmm. the fifth season of Doctor Who. That's just how it's always listed. Is there a, a proper vernacular that we should be using or a proper like codification? Um, yes, actually, those? season is classic who, series is new who. So it would be series. Okay, so fifth series. All yes. right. And listeners, if you're unaware, Doctor Who is a long-running British television series about a time-traveling alien who often travels with a human companion on adventures in space and time using his spaceship called the TARDIS. In this episode, they help Vincent Van Gogh, or Van Gogh, 
if you are <laughs> British, uh, to defeat a monster. And this episode was written by Richard Curtis and directed by Johnny Campbell. So, uh, typically before we jump into a full synopsis of these, we like to touch on how we came to the work that we're discussing. So, Cassandra, maybe you first, uh, how long have you been a fan of Doctor Who and do you remember your first exposure to doc- uh, the Vincent and the Doctor? Um, I started watching Doctor Who uh, a little after uh, Series 4, so David Tennant's like full, like last season, before all the um, specials started. and. So I was watching series five as it was coming out. So I saw this, uh, when it, I, I mean, like a few hours after it aired in Britain, um, by totally legal means question, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a dark time. Um, <laughs> this was, I think this was before they started airing it on BBC America. So yeah, I watched this, um, as it was coming out. And I cried like a baby, and I still cry like a baby every time. Uh, it's very affecting, and it's very important to me. This is one of my top two episodes of New Who, because uh, Classic Who's a different beast altogether. Uh, but And they're both Matt Smith episodes, funny enough. So What's the other one? Well, yes, follow-up question. Uh, I bet doc- you can guess the it. Doctor's Wife. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we... we Let's see. We, uh, quick recap. What What is the doctor's wife? Remind me. The doctor's if wife you can is... you do like a three-sentence synopsis. Um, it's the one where he gets stuck in the pocket dimension and his TARDIS is in a person. It's the, the Neil Gaiman Neil one. Neil Gaiman, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That is a great one. So, I respect your rankings. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've never made my own, but immediately just hearing this too, I'm like, okay, yeah. That, that, yeah. that works for me. Todd, what about you? Um, I Are you asking me to rank Doctor Who episodes, or are you asking me to say <laughs> when I when I first saw Vincent and the Doctor? The latter. Um, I, I have not re-watched many episodes of Doctor Who, and this is actually one that I had not gone back and re-watched, but... Um, uh, so I watched it. I I, uh, I was training for a marathon. This was, um, I don't know, maybe f- five years ago or something. Probably five years ago. And uh, it was in the winter and it was very cold. And I spent a lot of time on a treadmill um, running. <laughs> and I watched <laughs> just a ton of Doctor Who um, on the treadmill. And I'm pretty sure that's where I watched this. Uh it was, I was just like on a total Doctor Who high and I blew through a lot of um, New Who at that time. And uh, this is, this one is totally unforgettable. I think um, probably because I was like totally exhausted running on a treadmill. Uh, it didn't have the emotional, it didn't pack the emotional punch that um, some of the other episodes have. And in fact, when this one was suggested, I was like, oh, Vincent and the Doctor. Oh, okay, whatever. And then I just watched it tonight and I was like, my goodness. <laughs> that ending mm-hmm. is something else. Um, so yeah, I I totally uh, I totally get why <laughs> why um, this would be really high on uh, on lists. Uh, and Matt Smith, I also I kind of go back and forth between Tenet and Smith, um, but uh, but I uh, man, there's some really great uh, Smith. I like um uh what's the one? Is it Devil's Run? 
Is that the name of an episode or is it um, a good man goes to war? Or I can't remember, but those, those, yeah, uh, I can't remember war. the names of those ones. Good man goes to war. Like those episodes, um, with river and, uh, and, and baby Amy and like all that, that's just, uh, that's like to me, peak who <laughs> I think is so good. Interesting. Yeah. I like that stuff. All right. Uh, for me, this goes back to a subject that's been mentioned quite a few times on this podcast as we talk about different media. It was part of my grad school dinner group uh, viewings with Doctor Who. And so that's when I was first introduced to Doctor Who. Uh, once a week, we'd get together and watch uh, like Doctor Who and Battlestar Galactica and Lost. You know, it was always at least two shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when one ran out, we'd insert something else. And Doctor Who got into the rotation. And that was my first exposure to any Doctor Who. And I think... When we started it, the Matt Smith ones were just coming out on DVD, but we started all the way back with the the beginning of New Who and ran all the way up through into the Matt Smith era before I finished grad school and had to move. And <laughs> uh, but I remember this episode being one that we watched as the dinner group and like ended, and we just all kind of sat <laughs> for a minute, mm-hmm. like you got something in your eye, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> allergies, dang allergies. <laughs> yeah, it was a very very dusty room that night <laughs> well uh having talked a little bit about all of our responses i think it's worth jumping into some of the trivia um one that surprised me as i was looking up some information about this well vincent and the doctor is now a fairly beloved episode of the series and it was included in bbc america's choice of the doctor's finest episodes um when it came out it received mixed reviews um some being quite negative actually <laughs> when it, when it really? aired uh Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to save some of why uh, after we do the full summary, because I think it'll make a little more sense then. And I kind of see their point. I will just say, for me, it's kind of like when Todd and I talked about Stranger Things season two, we both had some nits to pick about season two, but mm-hmm. in the end, I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, I still I still loved it. And I understand some of the things that these reviewers who had negative reactions to it are, are pointing out. And I see them, but I really don't care <laughs> because the last 10 to 15 minutes of this episode is some of the most magical and evocative television that I can remember. Mm. Um, most of this episode was filled in, filmed in Croatia, and they deliberately dressed many of the sets to look like Van Gogh, Van Gogh paintings. And last bit of trivia, Richard Curtis, who wrote this episode, has many other notable credits, including he wrote the screenplays for Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, and the upcoming Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. <laughs> and he also wrote and directed Love Actually. Um, this is his only episode of Doctor Who, which he was inspired to write because he's fascinated by the tragedy of Vincent Van Gogh's life and the fact that he's so beloved now, but died um, without any anyone really respecting his work. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, trivia to add to this, Cassandra? Um, not that I'm aware of. I'm honestly shocked. <laughs> I'm honestly shocked that it got negative re- reviews because, like, in my circle, we were raving like about this episode for months and months after it aired. So that's interesting. Yeah. And like I said, after we do the long summary, I'll, I'll jump right into touching on some of uh, the issues that some of those reviewers had. Mm-hmm. I bet I could uh, anticipate what some of those will be. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get to your long synopsis, um, we just want to thank uh, each of you for listening and especially those who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And now, Joe, are you ready? 
I am ready. Hey. Uh, and I hope my voice doesn't catch as I get to the end of the summary at any point. All right. We open on a wheat field where something rustles through the wheat as Vincent van Gogh paints one of his iconic works. Then we cut to 2010 where the doctor and his companion, Amy Pond, are visiting the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. And I apologize if I just butchered that French pronunciation. It is <laughs> um, a common theme of this podcast that if it's not Spanish, I'm going to mispronounce it. If it's not English or Spanish, I, I can handle those two languages. <laughs> but <laughs> but when we enter other realms, it gets sketchy. Uh, while seeing the Vincent van Gogh collection at that museum, the doctor notices a monster is painted into the window of a church in one of Vincent's paintings. The doctor asks the curator when the painting was done, and then he and Amy rush off to go visit Vincent in 1890. While looking for Vincent Van Gogh, they hear the townspeople talk about him as though he's a crazy man and a no-talent painter whose works are terrible. They meet up with Vincent, and he and Amy flirt for a little bit. Then they hear a girl being attacked, and when they arrive at the scene of the murder, the crowd turns on Vincent, calling him a madman and throwing garbage at him and telling him to get away. Uh, so now the doctor, Amy, and Vincent all go back to his house, and there his paintings are just haphazardly strewn about, just all over the place, laying flat on tables with stuff being put on top of them, and like it's just an array of amazing art that you'd expect to find in a museum just being treated as though they are everyday objects, because they were to him. And Vincent says... Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Uh, these paintings are just strewn about in Van Gogh. He just treats them very dismissively. He even like drops a pot of coffee on one and coffee <laughs> splashes and Amy and the doctor are like freaking out and rushing, just, like trying to hold themselves back from <laughs> cleaning it up for him. Vincent says, though, that he sees more to the world uh, or that he thinks there's more to the world than the eye can see. And he talks about hearing the colors of the world call to him and they want him to paint them. Amy slips out back to admire more of Vincent's works, but uh, then the doctor and Vincent hear her screaming because she's been attacked. Vincent and the doctor go running out, and the doctor can't see anything, but Vincent sees a monster, and he fends it off. Uh, after the monster runs away, the doctor asks what Vincent saw, and Vincent goes inside, and he grabs one of his paintings and splashes white paint all over it and says, I'm going to draw it for you, and Amy and the doctor again scream as he's destroying one of his paintings, <laughs> but then he sketches the monster on top of the white paint that he just splashed splash down and the doctor takes this sketch and he goes back to the TARDIS and puts it on a scanner for it to identify the monster but Vincent Van Gogh is an impressionist so the scanner can't read <laughs> so good can't, can't find a match <laughs> Uh, leaving the TARDIS with this machine that's supposed to identify monsters, the machine immediately beeps uh, because the monster is right behind the doctor there's a brief chase scene and the doctor gets away, and then he finds Amy, and they return to Vincent Van Gogh's house. And Amy sets up pots with sunflowers all around to help cheer Vincent up. And Vincent says he doesn't like sunflowers because they're always half-living and half-dying, but it would be an interesting challenge to try and paint. And the doctor says, I think he'll be up to it. <laughs> uh, the doctor explains that the monster they've seen is called a Crefeus. These are space scavengers that travel in packs, but this one seems to have been abandoned by its group. Uh, this Crefeus will continue to kill until it is killed. Like, it's just going to be a scavenger that goes around killing. So they have to deal with this. And the doctor suggests that they go with Vincent to paint the church that inspired this adventure in the first place. Vincent agrees, but then he's gone for a while, and the doctor goes to find him, and Vincent is crying in his room, and the doctor tries to console him, and Vincent gets very angry and hostile and screams at him, and the doctor goes out and tells Amy, we need to go do this by ourselves. Vincent's already in a very fragile state of mind, and we may be making it worse. But just then, Vincent appears, and he's perfectly happy and normal now. And he says, let's go paint the church. 
While Vincent is painting, the doctor is bored and wonders if this is how time passes for everyone else slowly <laughs> and in the right order. Such a great line. And he also complains about all the other artists that he's seen. Like Michelangelo was always whinging about heights when he was painting the Sistine Chapel. Um, eventually, though, Vincent sees the monster in the church and the doctor goes in to confront it. Uh, this doesn't go well, and soon Amy and Vincent are there with him. Because remember, Vincent is the only one who can see this monster, because he sees things differently than everyone else. Uh, everyone bumbles about for a bit before the doctor realizes that the creature must be blind. And he yells this out, um, and that, and he says that this must be why it was abandoned by its... Um, by its pack. And the Crefeus, though, hears the doctor yelling this out, and it charges right at them, and Vincent sees it coming, and he holds up his easel, and he stabs the Crefeus with it. And this is a fatal injury. Vin Vincent is sad uh, that the creature is dying because he didn't want to kill it. That night, Vincent and Amy and the doctor lie on the grass and look up at the night sky, and Vincent explains how he sees the world. And as he gives this monologue, we as an audience see swirls of color that look like starry night appearing in the sky above it. And here's the quote that Vincent says. Uh, he says, look at the sky. It's not dark and black and without character. The black is, in fact, deep blue. And over there, lighter blue and blowing through the blues and blackness, the wind swirling through the air and then shining, burning, bursting through the stars. And you see how they roar their light everywhere we look. The complex, ma the complex magic of nature blazes before our eyes. Uh, the next day, Vincent uh, tries to give the doctor and Amy his self-portrait as thanks. <laughs> Here, have this painting. <laughs> but they refuse it. They say, well, no, we really can't. Uh, and he says, well, you're just like everybody else. Nobody wants my paintings. <laughs> so the doctor and Amy take Vincent into the TARDIS and they travel to 2010 so that he can go visit the Musée d'Orsay. They take him into the Van Gogh exhibit and he is amazed to see his work is hanging on the walls of a museum and that there are crowds thronging to see them. And the doctor calls the curator over and the, and the curator is played by Bill Nye. And he asks the curator, like, who was Vincent Van Gogh to you? And as Vincent tears up listening on, the curator says, well, um, big question, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of them all. Certainly the most popular, great painter of all time, the most beloved, his command of color, most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one has ever... Uh, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, the strange wild man who roamed the fields of, of province was not only the world's greatest artist, but also one of the greatest men who ever lived. Uh, they returned Vincent to his time. And after they drop him off, Amy asks to go back to the Musée d'Orsay one more time so that they can go see all the new Van Gogh paintings that he must have done because they helped him see his worth. So she thinks he won't kill himself in a few months' time. The doctor takes her, but he is not optimistic that they will have changed his life. When they get there, they see that Vincent still committed suicide at the same age and he had the same number of paintings. Amy is distraught about this, saying that they didn't make any difference. And the doctor says... Uh, to Amy, I wouldn't say that. The way I see it, every life is a pile of good things and bad things. The good things don't always soften the bad things, but vice versa, the bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things or make them unimportant, and we definitely added to his pile of good things. And then they see Van Gogh's famous painting of sunflowers, which now has an inscription reading, To Amy. The end. Ada Tau. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the sunflowers. Oh, yeah? In Philadelphia. The I, I saw it up close. 
Don't look at Van Gogh paintings up close. <laughs> <laughs> like be across the room from them. Well, I don't know what the optimal distance is, but when you get up close, it turns into just paint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw, well, I've seen the Dorsey exhibit that they visit in this episode um, in Paris and um, it's amazing, but yes, like there's like a right distance to see them. Yeah. Cause when you get too close, then there's too much texture mm-hmm. and like, these are big globs of paint. <laughs> and then all you're thinking is like, all this paint. There's a lot of paint. They're amazing <laughs> up close. I, oh. I mean, maybe it, it's different ones or, or mm-hmm. different people, but yeah, I, I liked the sunflowers better from a few feet away. I mean, there's a lot of um, art that I've, when I've seen it in person, like it, it's very experience. different than when you see it like on postcard size yeah. or when you're in high school and you see it in a textbook, like um, remind me who painted the haystacks in different shades of light. Oh, I, it's another impressionist. Yeah. Uh, but I, I remember, I, I, like, I'm picturing the paintings, yeah. but I can't picture the name. I'm sorry. I can't remember, listeners. I'm sure one of you can tell us in the comments. But I remember seeing the sequence of his haystacks um, next to each other in a museum. And, like, as I turned the corner into that room, I was like, oh, this impressionist means more to me now than he ever has at any point in my life. Because it was such a different experience to see all those paintings full size with all the different colors that he was playing with, mm-hmm. painting the haystacks at different times of the day mm-hmm. um, on display next to each other. And it just, it, it definitely impacts you so differently. It's Monet. Monet. Thank you, Todd. I love Monet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I think if the only thing you could ever do was stare at them up close, then obviously that would not be ideal. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of the beauty of going to an art museum is that you can see them close up and you can see them far away and you can see them from a middle distance. And uh, and you can I mean, the, the, it just amazes me. Um, I mean, I think the texture is is stunning. And, and and of it's course, very different. Like being able to see that texture in that painting than it yes. is to see a print of of a of a Van Gogh painting. I think. Mm-hmm. And and of course, everyone has different tastes. Of course, so of um, <laughs> <Yeah>. course. <laughs> All right, Todd. You said you taste. thought you, you could guess what some of the issues some of the reviewers may have had uh, with Vincent and the Doctor. Um. Yeah. Well, I mean. I, now I'm like, oh, I don't want to like, you know, say mean things about something that people really, really love. <laughs> and again, I don't know how, how important any of this is. Um, I think the first question, like one question that I have is why do they even go back? Because uh, like, it's obvious that Vincent was okay because he painted all the painting. I mean, like it wasn't like history had, <laughs> history had changed radically, right? I mean... But did it did it not change radically because the doctor stopped the monster? Nothing. Right? Nothing changed radically. The well, I only know, but radical does the change know that is that when he sees. Well, as soon like, as the doctor sees a monster travel... in the thing, he's like, "Oh my gosh, there's a monster in the thing." So, I don't understand if um, if we're supposed to we're, we're led to believe that like that thing has always been there, or if somehow like the past is changed and the doctor has to go back and change it. Like it just feels weird. I mean, it's weird timey wimey stuff anyway. And that's the doc, that's doctor who, like if you can't deal with that, then like don't come to the party. Right. (laughs) But, but it felt weirder to me in this episode than maybe I have, um, I felt it in other episodes. Like I just thought, why are they there exactly? Because do they think that the, do they think that the monster is going to kill Vincent? Because he's, he seems very concerned about that. Like maybe, maybe this monster could kill Vincent, but, um, but it's obvious that the doc, that the, the, the monster didn't kill Vincent because he finished all of these other paintings. Obviously Vincent is not okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Cassandra, do you have a, a response to that um, time loophole of time travel stories? I'm, I think there's a lot that I'm willing to um, kind of put on the back burner when it comes to Doctor Who as far as like, <laughs> yeah. um, what is the phrase? The, 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 like the sustaining my disbelief. Um, uh, yeah, suspension of dis- disbelief. I, I also really have a soft spot for historical episodes in general. So anytime they like do choose to go back in time instead of like forward and crazy alien future mm-hmm. land, I'm pretty much on board. So I, I, and it's just like a framing device anyway. And it, it's an excuse to right. get Bill Nye yeah. in your episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, right. which any excuse for that probably works. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, though, it kind of, um, it, it's the nature of time travel stories that it, it's like, well, was, was the monster not a problem, a bigger problem? Because always when the doctor sees this, he goes back to stop it. So he has to go back to stop it, or it's going to tear up the whole town or whatever it may be. And it, the reason, it doesn't, and the reason that town wasn't destroyed in their timeline is because the doctor always goes back to stop it <laughs> once he sees the monster. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not in any way saying that this like ruins the episode. It, I mean, <laughs> it's a great. It's a great episode. Yeah, it yeah, is a great no, I episode. You. But it, but I. I mean, I haven't. I haven't seen the very newest episodes of of Doctor. I think I saw the first Peter Capaldi uh, series. <gasps> series. Are we calling them the series? Yeah. Uh, I haven't sure. seen them, <laughs> so I think I'm missing one, two, two, yeah, two, three, two. Okay, yeah. So I am a little behind, but I have seen a lot of uh, a lot of Doctor Who, and normally I'm not like, oh, come on, you know, like I'm not really, the, I'm not really, I'm not really a well actually kind of guy. Um, but uh, but as I was watching this, I was like, I kind of taken out a little bit uh, because of that. I thought that some of the um, I thought that some of the effects just were not like amazing. And, and again, like <laughs> if you're, if, if all of the effects have to be amazing, then I don't think you should like really be super excited about Doctor Who because especially early on, I'm not, I, I've never been blown away by, by the special effects. But <laughs> like when I saw the, when I saw the beast, I was like, seriously, that's the thing. <laughs> like it just felt so weird. Um, and it kind of took me out of it. Uh, I think those are, I think those are probably my biggest, uh, nits to pick with this. And I recognize their nits and all things are forgotten at the, at the end because it's beautiful and the writing is, uh, is amazing. And the sense of like compassion and, uh, and caring that they show for him, uh, is, I mean, it well makes up for uh, any of these little nits. Mm-hmm. Todd, I, I completely see the things that you were raising, but that actually is not, or, or those are not the biggest issues that reviewers who kind of had some issues with this had. Most of the reviewers, when they had issues, it was they didn't see a connection between the monster and any of the themes with Vincent. Oh, and I can the, see. the monster. Well, I, once I started to pick it apart, I see some, uh, but the mo- they, they felt like the monster plot was kind of superfluous. And then for some of them, they felt it got way too, like, it, it was tugging on the heartstrings too hard mm-hmm. at the end. Oh, boo. Which, if that's not going to work for you, you are not going to like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, um, 
I see some of their point because as I was even rewatching it today, and I know I've seen this episode at least two or three times. Cause when my daughter started to watch some doctor who like, we, we pick and choose which episode she gets to watch. Cause some are maybe too scary for a mm-hmm. young child. Um, <laughs> but this is one that we we've watched with her and I remember watching it. But even then when I turned it on, I'm like, Oh, the Vincent, it's so good. And then like, they started talking about the monster. I'm like, I don't even remember what the monster <laughs> is in this one. I did. I, like, remember but, it was but a I remember. Chicken. Oh, Okay, because I remembered 100% the end, like everything from when they finished the monster on, like that is embedded in my memory as like some of the most perfect moments of television. Um, when they're when they're looking at the, up at the sky and see it, like Vincent sees it, and when they take him to the Musée d'Orsay, like all of those for me are some perfect moments. And I agree that there are some shows that maybe get too schmaltzy, and this one is leaning hard into the emotionality, but it certainly <laughs> works for me, even though it's leaning that hard into it. It doesn't feel like it's going over the top. Um, it just lands perfectly for me. Mm-hmm. At least, that's my reaction to it. <laughs> so. I, I just don't feel like Doctor Who is... Uh, has ever been shy about leaning into the emotions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the, the big arcs with Rory and Amy, it's oh, yeah, you know... <laughs> But to me, that's like, like again, like that's peak who, like when, when he's, you know, when the music starts, dun, 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 and you're like, oh yes, he's going to do something amazing right now. Like that's like, that's just it for me. Like, I don't care what he does. Once the music starts, I know it's going to be awesome. And so I'm like totally on board. So yeah, Uh, as far as the, the monster not connecting with the story, I think the monster connects great with the story. I I just wish it didn't look like a giant chicken. That's, that's (laughs) like, that's my gripe. (laughs) I mean, I think there's this, like, there's this beautiful, there's this beautiful thing that happens with sight. Right. And uh, uh, Vincent is, um, is rejected because, because he sees the world in this, um, crazy, like incomprehensible way. And, uh, and again, we get to use the word synesthesia, mm-hmm. uh, which I mean, to get to use that twice in two weeks in a row, that's, that's really quite <laughs> something, I think. Yeah. Listeners, but, you might want to go check out our previous discussion on the yellow wallpaper last week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, in our, in our feed when we got to bring up synesthesia. Uh, but, but it's amazing. And then we see this, so we see him sort of, um, persecuted or, uh, mistreated, misunderstood, because uh, because of his sight, and then when we realize that 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 there's something similar going on with this monster um, that we've been so afraid of, uh, then I, that's poignant to me. I mean, when mm-hmm. when he says, uh, what does he say? He says something like, uh, "It's not. Oh, he wasn't without mercy. He was without sight." And um, and how I don't know. I, I I mean, I think there's a lot to kind of unpack there with like not being able to see. And being able to see so much more than everyone else, and how both of those are can be a, a curse, um, and and maybe a blessing. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. I, I think it's really interesting, and I I I don't understand that as a as a critique of this story. It's obvious what they're trying. I, I think, yeah, I think what you're identifying works, but I it for me it didn't quite land as clearly because it's. Um, like okay well this is a monster that rampages and it used to be part of a pack of monsters that rampage (laughs) 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 and so like uh, yes it got abandoned by its pack of monsters but how does that line up with vincent and you know humanity and and his rejection by humanity even as he's a voice for humanity so i don't see quite the one-to-one i've always described the monster as a physical manifestation of his depression 
uh, because he's the mm. only one who really can kind of see it. And everyone else, uh, like, observes his reaction to it. Uh, and they just assume that he's crazy. Like, even the doctor is like, oh, he's having a fit. He, like, cause he doesn't realize what's happening. And I, I think it is, it's, it's really sad that, like, Vincent at the end of the episode is the one to kill the monster because ultimately, like, his own monster is what kills him in the end. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with the critics. Uh, <laughs> I like both your interpretations better than the yeah. Yeah, I don't really, so. I don't see it. I don't see it as a one-to-one -one correlation, and I don't think that a metaphor has to be has to like line up one-to-one -one in order mm -hmm. to be a powerful metaphor. I think sometimes a metaphor works just because it serves as like a springboard to think about something that's important. And I think that in both of these cases, with Vincent and with the with the monster, uh, what the writer wants us to do is to think about sight. And the way that seeing is is important to uh, to the human condition, like uh, see our episode on blindness on the Saramago novel. Uh, but being able to see is so important to who we are as humans, and that whenever there is um, a deviance in what we would consider like quote unquote normal sight. Um, that that's going to have a huge impact on <laughs> on our ability to get by in the world, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's what they're what they're pointing at. And it doesn't bother me that it's not a one to one correlation. In fact, sometimes that can be boring. Maybe two yeah. on the yeah. nose. Because then you're straying out of metaphor and into allegory, which I don't know is like hit or miss for me. So yeah, and I, I mean I, I'm the one that brought up like the one to one and. I I don't I agree like I don't want it to be like oh obviously this one thing aligns perfectly with this but I I'm still not 100% seeing like the thematic relationship between the monster's experience and Vincent's but I, I the discussion that you guys are having makes me see more connections than what I'd seen in first in in my initial viewing so I appreciate the the way you guys um interpret it I love that interpretation of the monster as his um as his depression. And I, and I think to back that up, there's when he tries to have a conversation, cause this is so the doctor, right? Like the doctor always just talks to the aliens right. and like, and they, and then they say, Oh, you're right. And then they have like some, uh, emotional connection. And then the monster turns into a good monster and then leaves. I mean, like this happens very often, I think in Dr. Mm -hmm. Who. And in this one, he's like, I, I know I should talk to this. And I'm like, why didn't you think of that earlier? It's like your one go-to thing. Right. <laughs> Like you've been shaking pitchforks at this thing. Why didn't you try to talk to it initially? But then he tries to do, he tries to do this. And, um, and he says, you know, maybe we can come to an understanding and it just like the whole thing falls apart. It's, it's not done gracefully as, as is often the case with him. Like he's able to, he's done this successfully so many times mm -hmm. that to see him fail so spectacularly, um, is, is a surprise. And, um, and I think, especially when you're dealing with something like depression, like, to come to an understanding with your own, with your own depression or with the depression of somebody around you, like good luck. <laughs> Cause that's a really hard thing to do. And even really yeah. smart people and very caring people and very empathetic people, uh, when confronted with a foe as formidable as depression, like real life depression to come to an, a, an understanding of something like that is very often, uh, beyond <laughs> our abilities as mortals, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And I think this episode um, 
like you're saying, like the doctor fails um, in, in his efforts to kind of like reform the monster, or, <laughs> you know, to, to, to even to really understand it in any way, which often we do see him succeed. But also he fails in that, you know, this is an episode about Vincent Van Gogh and he doesn't change the outcome of his life. Like um, Amy thinks, oh, there's gonna be so many, so many more Vincent Van Gogh paintings. And this is gonna be wonderful because we've, you know, as kind of naively, she seems to think we've cured his depression. We've shown right. him that he matters and that he will be accepted. Um, but obviously that, that doesn't happen. So in, in some ways, this is a Dr. Fails episode. Um, but does the doctor fail? But, I mean, see, the, if, in order for the doctor to fail, I think it would have to be clear what his mission was initially. And this is, this, is the, this is the complaint that I have that I think is more substantial for me, is that I don't understand what, what his goal is. I don't understand what the goal is in going back. And so if, if it's not clear what he's trying to do, then it's hard for me to say that he's failed at a, a mission that I don't really understand. Like, is he going back to try to save Vincent to keep him from committing suicide? Does he think that Vincent maybe really didn't commit suicide, that he was just killed by a monster? And if they can stop the monster, then maybe, maybe Vincent will paint way more paintings. It doesn't seem like he's, he has any hope when they go back to the museum at the end that, that he, there will be more paintings. And Amy's like, Oh, I'm like so excited to see the paintings. And you can see on the doctor's face that he is, um, he has very little hope <laughs> that that's the case. And so I don't really understand what he was trying to do. I th I understand what he's trying to do at the end when he, when they take him back to the thing and, yeah. and this beautiful line about the, the good things don't soften the bad things, but the bad things don't make the good things unimportant. And we gave him a good thing in his life. That's a word, like that's a worthy, noble thing. But in the beginning, when he grabs Amy's hand and they rush into the TARDIS to go back to Vincent, I don't think he's thinking, you know what? I'm going to give Vincent like one good thing. I'm going to help him with this monster and then I'm going to bring him back into the future and show him his paintings so that he'll cry and everybody that sees this will cry. <laughs> like I don't, I, at the beginning of this, at the beginning of this, I, the, the mechanics of the story are, are fuzzy to me. At the end, it's super clear. I think it gets better as, as the story goes mm -hmm. on. Because it, it starts off, it starts yeah. off kind of super formulaic, right? Like the doctor sees something that's wrong, and then he goes to fix it. But then it turns out, like, because he there's that line where he talks about like winning, like winning is always awful, like when they kill the monster. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I I understand. I guess I understand what your uh, your hangup is about the doctor's goal because it's not really clearly stated. It's more of like a it's more of a the the writer of the episode being like, oh, let's go visit Vincent. Um, and right, I as a framing device, it's it's kind of weak. But then it leads to like the last ten minutes that we keep talking about. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a bit of business that gets yeah. the ball rolling, and they knew they were going to have that location. So I think they're like, well, let's write it into yeah. this location because we're going to have to film there for where we want to, this to end. I mean, um, I can totally, I, I can totally imagine writers in the writing room, and they're like, "Okay, guys, it's time for the Vincent Van Gogh story." Uh, okay, we got to get Vincent back in, and we got to get the doctor <laughs> back into Vincent's time. I know. What if they're in a museum and they see a painting, and there's a monster? I, I like that. I like when uh, there's a monster. Oh yeah, it's in the window. Of the, let's get him back there, you know. And then they're like, "Okay, now what do we do?" Right? Uh, but I, I think you could completely change that, and and Amy goes. You know somebody that I've always wanted to meet, Vincent Van Gogh, and the doctor goes, "You know what? That's great. Let's go. Let's go meet him." Because you know, like I've always wanted to meet him too. And they jump in the TARDIS and go. The story has not changed at all. Like you can still do mm -hmm. everything that you've done in the story, and 
Uh, and I think it, it maybe is, uh, maybe simplicity would have been a little bit better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, to me, it, it feels like it was probably reversed engineered where they knew the end scene they wanted uh-huh. in the museum. And so, like, how do, how do we kick yeah. this all off? Yeah. And, again, make use of the locations where we know we're going to be filming. Sure. So um, but I was going to say – Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I just want to say one thing that stands out to me about this episode is that if you're doing a Vincent van Gogh episode, I think it would be super easy to make the emotional punch his suicide. And it is not his suicide. Yes. Like what makes you teary eyed is yeah. his happiness and his joy, uh, which is an inversion of how so many writers um, classically have manipulated audiences to feel, you know, <laughs> to, to feel certain emotions and to, and to mm-hmm. cry during an episode. Um, and I, I think it's one reason why this one stands out so much is because of that inversion, that it's a tragic figure's joy is what's going to get the audience, you know, in the feels, <laughs> not the tragic fi- uh, figure's fate. Because it's not, it's. Don't you think it's kind of both of those things? I mean, ultimately, yes, but we already kind of know what happens to him, so it's not surprising. And I wouldn't rest like his suicide as the climax of the story, because what's surprising is he's able to enjoy this moment, even though like months from now he's gonna kill himself. So I think it's really, and that's one of the things that I like the most about Doctor Who in general is. It's so optimistic. Like even when it's about like a tragic figure like this, it's just so optimistic. And it makes me it makes me emotional, but like happy, happy sad instead of just sad sad. <laughs> <laughs> I I I think that the emotional punch I agree that the that the climax is not the suicide, but I think without the suicide Without our foreknowledge of the suicide, yeah, then the emotion. I don't think that I don't think that the joy means as much to us. Uh, oh, I completely agree. Understanding but I, of n- not only of the suicide, but also of I'm, like everything that that goes into that. Right, the fact that he believed that he was a failure, and um, and I mean, it, it even it even um challenges in some ways the the narrative surrounding the suicide because. Because in this version, he knows that he's not a failure, and yet yeah. he still goes through with it. And so, I mean, it makes it more about his mental right, health right. than about his you know feelings of worth based on right. his success in his career. Um, and I, I agree, Todd, that like we need that contrast, and our knowledge of the contrast is what makes the emotional punch of him in the museum and hearing the curator talk right. land so well, and us to really feel mm-hmm. it. But I, I think there's a lot of versions of of you know time travel stories that go back to some historical event that the emotional punch is that, you know, they can't avert this disaster and then the bad thing happens and that's just it. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that's the sadness. It's um, like trying to imagine very different with that. It's like trying to imagine a, a beautiful, hopeful, happy Bruce Wayne or something, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, exactly what's going to happen to that guy. And, and everybody knows what happens to, to boy Bruce Wayne and everybody shows us the same scene over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And, uh, and I love, I, I think, I, I mean, I agree with you. One of the things that is so beautiful about this is that they take something that we all know so well. And instead of showing us like the back alley with the pearls and the, and the robber with the gun, they show us something else that points to that thing and doesn't deny um, the significance of mm-hmm. that moment and the, and the tragedy of what happened there, uh, but leaves you feeling happy and hopeful 
and uh and that's i mean that's kind of a magic trick it's really (laughs) it's really amazing that they're able to do it and then also gives us the beautiful monologue about the good and the bad in life yes and that giving someone something good even if they're having a hard life giving them something good is worth Mm -hmm. doing (laughs) yeah and there's also this parallel between i mean the 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 monologue about uh, from bill nye about the about why vincent is such a great artist and he says, you know, it's easy to portray pain and suffering, uh, but to take pain and suffering and turn it into something beautiful, like he's saying, uh, hello, yeah, this is what we've just done with this episode. About, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? We've taken, it would be easy for us to show a really sad suicide. It's much harder and maybe more meaningful. Um, I mean, I would say probably certainly more meaningful Uh to to take our understanding of that, uh, to not diminish it in any way, but to create something really beautiful mm-hmm. out of it. Um, beautiful, except for the chicken monster. <laughs> Sorry, I just it doesn't do it for me. And I and in my head, I'm like, did they do that on purpose? Like, did they purposely make a, a monster that just looks odd? Like, really, just sort of odd? Like, not really terrifying? Just, I mean, okay. If I saw one of those things in my house, I would be terrified. <laughs> yeah, imagine you going out in the garage, take some trash out. Todd. You yes. see that there? Okay, fine. <laughs> Never mind. It's a it's a terrifying animal. But it's not like I mean I don't know. I think of the monster in uh, Super Eight or something like that. Like that's a terrifying. Or, or even um, you know, the, the Weeping Angels or. Uh, you know, the, or the silence, right? There's there's lots of yes. really terrifying mm-hmm. Doctor Who monsters, okay. and I, I would not put this in that category. Speaking of um of our kids and uh and Doctor Who, so uh I may have mentioned this on a podcast, but it was probably two or three years ago when I did, so it's okay to say it again. But um I was again uh, running on the treadmill watching Doctor Who one morning, and um and my kid walked in. <laughs> And I didn't realize that he was there and it was one of the silence episodes. (laughs) And we were like, we were like five minutes into it or something. And I looked down in his eye and I was like, oh my gosh, my son is here. (laughs) And his eyes were like as big as saucers. (laughs) I thought, oh no, I completely ruined my child. So at this point, what do you do? Do you just turn it off? Do you, so we just, I said, we have to watch the whole thing now because he has to see in the end that like the good Mm -hmm. guys win. So uh, at least, you know, C.S. Lewis, like if I'm going to show him monsters, I'm going to show him a shining knight that can, that can defeat mm-hmm. monsters. So like, okay, son, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. So we watched The Silence. That's probably the only episode of Doctor Who that my kids have ever Oh my goodness. <laughs> Keep your eyes open, son. Keep them open. Stop, stop covering your eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Silence. Those guys are scary. <laughs> Uh, Cassandra, you said this is one of your top two. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we've already addressed many of the reasons why you love it, but why particularly does this one stand out for you? Um, it's, it's super personal, right? Like I am fairly open about like my, my struggles with depression. I talk about it sometimes on the the Lord of the Rings because, um, the, like the burden of the ring, I like to Uh read as like Frodo's like mental health. Um, and it's it's refreshing to see a portrayal of someone 
with depression and they're not trying to fix him per se. They're just trying to accommodate him or just like treat him as a normal person or as normal as you can treat like a, a living legend like Vincent Van Gogh at the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the when they take him to the museum at the end, it's it's just such a love letter to every person who is creative in any way, like any person who struggles to make something. Um, and I, I write, so that resonated with me, like, is, is, is what I'm doing ultimately going to, I mean, not end up in a museum or something, but like change the, the course of the future in a way that is significant to at least somebody. And it's, I don't know. It gets, oh man, it gets me every time when he's like crying in, the, in his bed, like crying in his bed and having his like depressive fit. Cause I've been there and like, I, it's so raw, but like they don't shy away from it. And it's, it's almost like a fairy tale with like a sad ending. And that's kind of like the theme of series five is like, let's, let's go really like fairy tale and, and mystical. And I kind of miss that aesthetic about Doctor Who. Like this season was so special. And, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's super personal and it's so deeply affecting to me. And I, and it's, it's so well written too. And it's gorgeous. Like the location is beautiful and just everything about it just works on a level that I jive with. There's a couple of things that you said that stood out to me. One, what you were saying at the very end, like it is gorgeous. Like the very beginning scene of him painting in the wheat field and the way they film like his painting so and some of the close-ups they give it like immediately. I'm like, oh, this one's on a different level. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is a TV show that is operating at, you know, with with good cinematography and a good budget to be able to accomplish what, what we're seeing on the screen right now. Like they, they care so- and they put in like there's so many easy ways you can stage a man painting. Right. And they took the time to get all the close-ups and give the editors all this material that just works so well. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's so smart too, to make the monster invisible for most of the time it's on the screen, because then you can like, then you can splurge on locations and, and stuff like that. And I don't know, maybe that's why the monster looks like a chicken is because exactly were- what I think. <laughs> that was they exactly the budget. thought that I had is I think they spent all of their money on set. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's okay. Like, again, it's forgiven. I mean, really, I'm, I don't hate this episode. Not even close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even close to hate this episode. I really love it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and especially, you know, the more I think about it, the more I like it. So I like that. Um, and then, Cassandra, the other thing that you said that kind of sparked an idea for me, uh, which I had in our cover, is this idea of the artists who are unknown or unappreciated. And you kind mm-hmm. of said, like, you, you've written and you want to know if that's going to have an impact. I've I write stuff all the time Mm. and I'm just waiting for it to be able to find its way out. (laughs) Um, And it made me think about um, the Virginia Woolf essay when she talks about like if Shakespeare had a sister that was as brilliant as him, we'd never know because women were denied their voice, you know, creative voices um, in the time or even um, like obviously Van Gogh died completely unappreciated later was appreciated or someone like Emily Dickinson who was writing all this brilliant stuff that no one knew about until Mm. after she died and probably against her wishes, it then got published (laughs) and shown to the world. Um, You know, how many voices have there been of people who could have revolutionized 
art um, or even if not revolutionizing art could have impacted an individual if their work was just out there and we right. will never know. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> we, 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 we'll never discover their voices. Mm-hmm. And it's almost maddening to start thinking about that and going down like all the reasons that voices may have been denied in the past. In the case of Vincent Van Gogh, during his lifetime, it seems like a chunk of the reason why his voice was denied was because his art was so different from what was established, but also his mental health issues mm-hmm. kind of gave him a stigma within his community. And then there's all the um, racial and gender bias and class issues that have probably denied us, you know, amazing voices in, in painting and in literature and in poetry and all yeah, the absolutely. other forms of art as well. Yeah. Um, I want to give a shout out to Karen Gillan. I think she does a really good job in this episode. <laughs> and there's just like, like the, I mean, there are some really heavy themes um, and some true like beauty, but I think there's also charm in this episode. And like when they walk into his house and they see all those paintings, these kind of um, knowing looks between the doctor <laughs> and Amy. Um, and there's kind of a, uh, I want to say kind of like a subtlety, to the way that they go about that, um, that I think is is great. And it's not like they're not doing anything because they are. I mean, it's it's funny because <laughs> yeah. they're like trying to be subtle, but but somehow kind of not being very subtle, which is, yeah, oh, like, I mean, that's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, you've never seen my painting. Like, that's my favorite painting I've ever seen in general. <laughs> you know? Uh, but there's just uh, there's something really charming about um, her interactions with him and him kind of falling in love with her and and her loving him a- as an artist, but just not being in love with him mm-hmm. as a you know like romantically. And I just I, I think there's so much of um, her presence in this that uh, that helps make this episode work in the way that it does. I think in general we should probably have more shout outs to Karen Gillan. So I sign off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where did they find this actor? Oh, Tony. He looks Gray. just oh, like. The- I mean, when they hold up the the paintings to his face, I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, th- I think the acting works really well. Um, like you said, and there's so many great moments. Like I, it, it's always stood out to me. I've always remember since the first time I saw it when when Vincent grabs the white paint and sloshes it over one of his paintings, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Amy and the doctor are like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that moment works, and I I agree though. Like they do that understated, which this must be a very different or difficult level to act where you're acting. You you're trying to play understated obviousness is kind yes. of what she and the doctor are doing um you know where where like you don't want to be fully winking to the audience but you don't want the audience to miss you know the emotions that you're playing and i, th- I think they definitely hit the right note both her and matt smith on those scenes yeah. i think it must I be love- a challenge to direct and a and a challenge to like carry out but i think they do a good job mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know if this director ever came back which is maddening i'm gonna find out right now because <laughs> <laughs> It's it's so well done, and it bothers me that there are like one-off directors like this who direct like classics and then just never come back. Yeah. Too busy making um, romantic comedies. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's the, the writer. That's the, the writer, writer the yeah. Writer. Oh, the writer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of comedies uh, in in his repertoire there. When he pulls out a pretty, pretty <laughs> emotionally packed, uh, you know, drama in this one. Well, as we know, 
comedians can't do anything but comedies. Yeah, I mean, absolutely not. <laughs> There's never been a great dramatic turn by any comedian ever. Or or horror turn in the last two years. <laughs> yes, by, by comedians. <laughs> yeah, certainly Jim from The Office could never do straight horror. Mm-hmm. Or uh, or Peel from Key and Peele. Yeah. <laughs> There's there's nowhere but comedies for comedians. <laughs> yeah. uh, Westworld. Doctor Who. Vincent, uh, The Vampires of Venice. Yeah, I also oh, love so that episode. So, <laughs> two out of two. <laughs> well done. <laughs> what was the name of the director again? Just so we give proper credit. Uh, Johnny Campbell. Johnny uh, Campbell. Okay. Uh, yeah, He's so done. I guess... Go ahead, Todd. Let's let's do uh, say, everyone's um, favorite part of podcasting: the IMDb run, which uh, we've done more than once. On <laughs> um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot here that I recognize. Although I'm sure that um, that uh, uh, TV people would, uh, people who watch more TV than I do, would. Uh, Westworld is the only one that I that I recognize here. Oh, uh, MI5. Um, but okay. he's only he did one episode of Westworld. So nice. All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts about uh, Vincent and the Doctor? Honestly, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen this episode, uh, why? <laughs> it is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah, uh, no so that is one place where you can go find it. And again, That's it. I've said my piece. <laughs> just for the last 10 minutes, you should go watch this. Uh, and I, I kind of understand the nitpicks from some of the reviewers. I don't understand why there were so many that were negative to mixed. Because mm-hmm. even after my first viewing, I'm like, well, that was great. <laughs> and um, those that finale where, I, in, in some ways, it's kind of like... Um, if you're watching a crime show and they catch the murderer and you're like, well, there's still 10 minutes left. So something's going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like they've caught the wrong guy or something <laughs> like that. Like this ends with 10 minutes left and you're kind of left with a feeling of, well, what's going to come next? And you have no idea, it, you know, <laughs> it's going to be just straight emotion for the last 10 minutes. Um, but it really is just fabulous writing, directing, and, and acting mm-hmm. um, for, the, for the last 10 minutes that, that land in a way that, I wish more uh, film and television did for me. Um, and, and so it, it's among my, my favorite like sections of filmmaking is everything from them lying down on the grass to, to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just works so well. That's good stuff. Honestly, I think that this is a really good standalone doctor who episode. Like if you are like mm-hmm. interested in getting into doctor who uh, I would recommend this. There are some things that you won't pick up on watching it out of context. Um, if you if this is the first or you know one of the first episodes of Doctor Who you've seen, but I I don't know I just like it just speaks to all these cool themes and it's like a, a historical character that everyone's pretty much aware of and it kind of shows off what the show is about and there's like a, a silly monster and the Doctor's doing his Doctor <laughs> thing so I think this would be like a really cool introductory episode for somebody if they are uh-huh. curious about the show. Yeah, I mean, there are a few, like, subtle nods to the larger continuity of that season, Mm -hmm. um, but it it certainly doesn't detract from the story that's being told. Yeah. Um, From those, it may just, like, give you a question, like, well, you know, because they mention a name and, and, you know, it's a name drop of the larger storyline, but that's about it (laughs) for the larger storyline in in this episode. Oh, one last thing that I did want to say. The, uh, a lot of time travel, well, either time travel stories or, like, prequel stories where you jump back to a character that you already know. Um, like they feel the need to like say exactly like this is why Shakespeare wrote this play is because of this one adventure <laughs> that we're going to show you right. or, you know, we're, we're going to give you a prequel and we're going to show you why Han Solo carries the gun that he carries. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know that that's going to happen in Summer Solo. But 
you know that that kind of trope that happens. And one thing that I enjoyed about this is it didn't go back and say, this is why Vincent Van Gogh died, or this is why he had depression, or anything like that. It just went back and had an adventure with Vincent Van Gogh. Um, and, and it just was right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is of, why he painted the, uh, the sunflowers. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's the one is, is the sunflower that, that you get. Um, but it, it doesn't go, you know, as, as hard in on, um, on these explanations that some time travel stories do, which, which for mm-hmm. me sometimes can work and sometimes get a little too cute. Um, and I, I think it, this one handled it well. If there is not a TV trope called Han Solo's gun, can we please get somebody to write that up? <laughs> I don't even care if it does. I'm calling that Han Solo's gun from now on. <laughs> no, I think, I think Todd, you just have to call it the beginning of, of the 30 Indiana Jones movie because in that oh, one right, afternoon, that's right. he gets everything. He gets the a scar, whip, the, the scar, hair, the hat, or the, hat, the fear yeah. of snakes. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It's Indiana Jones and Last it Crusade is, is, is maybe one of the yes. best examples of that. Which is, uh, I mean, it's it's not it's not Han Solo's gun. It's Indiana Jones's whip. So <laughs> I mean we're we're really close. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what the story of Indiana Jones get or of Han Solo getting his gun this summer is going to make just a ton of money. I'm sure. So much. <laughs> Todd's relying on that for our, our fantasy box office game <laughs> okay. that we do on the Protagonist podcast. Yeah, he, he has that movie picked. Because I had I had number one pick in our draft, and I picked I picked solo, and Joe picked with number two Black oh, Panther, he and won. he's feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's feeling pretty good about his pick right now. As it should I'm, be. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. That that lead is feeling comfortably safe at the moment. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, well, well, thank you again, you also Cassandra. Have, uh, Avengers Infinity War. Oh, yes, I do out. have Avengers Infinity wow. War as well. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, to, it's fun to play the game anyway. <laughs> Last year, it, it took till December for a winner to be decided. Um, so I, I don't think we could trust a February lead, Todd. Okay. Uh, thank you for joining us, Cassandra. And uh, once again, could you tell our listeners where they could go find you on other podcasts? Yeah, um, you can find me on DuelingGenre.com. I'm the co-host of Lord of the Rings Minute um, that I host with my husband, Norman. We talk about Lord of the Rings. We're talking about two towers, one minute at a time. I also co-host The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about Doctor Who. Uh, we talked about we talk about Doctor Who, as the new season of Doctor Who as it's airing, and then on the off season, we do a bunch of uh, classic Who and um, Eccleston, Tennant, and Smith as well. So be excited. And and I know some of our listeners do uh, cross over with your Lord of the Rings minute. And I would just say, listeners, keep an ear out for Norman in th- the coming weeks of the protagonist podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he's excited. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again for joining us. I think that is going to wrap up this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre, dueling genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go and check out episode number 40, when we talked about Sally Sparrow from the Doctor Who episode Blink, or number... 140 when we talked about river song from the doctor who episodes silence in the library and forest of the dead and just real quick i think we need to note that we've done three doctor who episodes more than any other tv series certainly but we've never talked about the doctor as a character and i think that 
I, I can't see that changing because it's kind of a hard one to, to get a, a handle on. The more interesting characters <laughs> tend to be it's, the companions and who, you know, whoever is being featured in that episode. It's interesting that you say that because I think the perfect like doctor centric episodes would either be Midnight or um, uh, oh, I love Midnight. Midnight is so good. Uh, oh, shoot. What's it called? Midnight way high on my Heaven list. sent from Capaldi's this uh, Capaldi's second season. Um, is oh, I haven't seen that one. It's just um, Peter Capaldi by himself in a room for forty-five minutes, and it's gorgeous. It's so good. Well, Sandra, <laughs> can we have you back on in uh, <laughs> in the future to talk about the Doctor from Doctor Who? Yes, absolutely. I would also. Um, okay. You should have Scott too, because Heaven Sense like oh yes, favorites, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we had him on. Oh, to I just talk remember about the other. Uh, yeah. Mm. I just remember the other episode from season five that I love is Amy's Choice. Oh, that's so I good. love that episode. So good. I love season five. It's so, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it this is. definitely every time we talk about a Doctor Who, I'm like, oh, I just need to go back and like start over and just get it all and get the big storylines going again and the you know the continuity within the great one-off episodes. Oh, Doctor Who is great. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, uh, you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow Protagonist Pod. You can follow Todd K. Mack, Jay Dorowski, or our producer, Andrew, is at Diz Minute. And Cassandra, what Twitter handles do you have for your shows? Um, at L-O-T-R Minute at, I think it's The Doctor's Companion. Um, just search Doctor's Companion. And my personal Twitter <laughs> is um, at Dark Hearted Rose. Thank you. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We enjoy our conversations there with listeners. So feel free to drop in and give us a comment. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or just show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to talk about another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Darn, now I'm going to have to edit. (laughs) Now you'll have to do your job. (laughs) Yeah.